This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. For the News and Observer, I'm Don Vaughn, your host for this episode of Under the Dome. For the week of November 21st, 2022, happy early Thanksgiving, everybody. Joining me today is Chris Cooper, who many of our listeners may know because he is a political science professor at Western Carolina University, where he's also director of the Public Policy Institute there. He lives out west, but he's in Raleigh today, or as we record this a few days before you're listening for an event. So we thought it'd be a great time to have him come to our newsroom studio for our recording of the podcast. So thanks for being here, Chris, in person. Um, I've quoted... Chris, multiple times in stories, lots of reporters have, never met you in person until today. Uh, So this will be a fun conversation, I think. And one thing about our our quotes of of Chris Cooper, one of the two Coopers I quote frequently, uh, is that a lot of the, we've already talked to you for 2022 election uh, analysis before and after. So we'll talk a little bit about that, but I wanted to give people something more than they've already heard um, from either like in-person events, like I was saying, you're in town for that progressive group, uh, Carolina Forward, had a panel in downtown Raleigh with uh, Democratic former candidates and different politicos, including Jessica Holmes, the former Wake County Commissioner's chair who had an, um, an unsuccessful run for labor commissioner, uh, still active in the party, and they were kind of doing a rehash of what Democrats did wrong or what they need to do, we need to do next time. So, uh, what I wanted to ask you, aside from that um, analysis, is how you got here from, uh, well, there might be, listeners may know that, or if I've mentioned in the past that I lived in Northern Virginia for a time, and so did you. So if you want to uh, tell us about that and how you became the um, politics professor that is experts on all things North Carolina. Yeah, great. So thanks for having me, first of all. And um, yeah, so I grew up in South Carolina for a good while and then moved to uh, moved to Northern Virginia. And I'm pretty sure that Dawn and I went to high school together for like a week. So uh, we both went to, she went to, I believe, Lake Braddock High School. That's right. I went to Lake Braddock High School for a week. I think we're roughly of similar vintage. So I think we might have had a little overlap. I like that similar vintage. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like like a fine wine. Um but I've always been really interested in politics. When I went to college, I was interested in political science, but also sociology, social psychology, just kind of why people do the things that people do. And uh, in some ways, the most interesting things that people do revolve around politics. And so I've just always been very interested in it, uh, tend to be sort of naturally gravitate to, to state politics and elections and Southern politics is kind of the three sort of areas I pay the most attention to and um, went to undergraduate at Winthrop University, just just south of the border there, um, and then the, the Lesser Carolina, obviously, and then uh, went to graduate school at the University of Tennessee. We had a national championship when I was there. I'm obviously responsible for that. I had nothing to do with T. Martin or any of the other players. And um, and then I came to Western Carolina in about 2002, and I've been here, been there, excuse me, ever since. And it's been a it's been a good run. 
since you brought up sports, I went to Virginia Tech. Like I'd mentioned before, I lived in Northern Virginia for a while. Moved around as a kid as an Army brat, including at Fort Bragg. Um, but anyway, the year that I got to Virginia Tech was when Frank Beamer first took the Hokies to a bowl game. Now, that was a long time ago, and the Hokies aren't going to a bowl game anymore. Not this season, maybe not for several seasons. But one other little sports note, since we were talking about like Braddock Secondary School, which Chris and I Maybe cross paths in the hallway. Got to find a yearbook um, somewhere. <laughs> uh, Hubert Davis went to Lake Braddock. As if you all don't know how, who Hubert Davis is, then I mean, come on. Like if you're in North Carolina, it's it's required. My greatest basketball fail was missing a dunk in a pickup game with Hubert Davis. So uh, really, yes, yes. Wait a minute. The other Cooper, the governor, has that basketball story he always tells with like was it Phil Ford or something, or they played. So okay, tell us. Tell us your, your basketball story. Yeah, I'm sure that's why people are tuning in is to hear my, my athletic fails, of which there are many. But, yeah, I'd been practicing Duncan and, and got it down pretty well and then had a breakaway, and it was a South Run Park, and it was a pickup game, and thought to myself, I'm going to throw one down, and Hubert Davis can be impressed. He's going to tell Dean Smith my life is going to turn up, and, and I hit the front of the rim. And that was the last time I ever tried to dunk in any sort of game. That's great. Yeah, it was great from a – Got a horrible perspective. I mean, it's yeah. a great story, though, with Hubert Davis. So, um, uh, Lake Braddock is a secondary school. So, when Davis was a senior, I was in seventh grade. But he's in my my yearbook from back then is Wheaties Kid, which is basically, you know, most athletic. And I remember knowing who he, who he was and that everybody liked him. And that's, you know, probably pretty still true today. So, um, all right. So, sports and politics are uh, crossovers that, you know, like there's, I fear our audience uh, is a little bit of both of that. So, Okay, well, let's turn from sports more to politics. Um, I was saying that we rehashed 2020 to some. What does this mean for 2023? Not the elections, because there are uh, Wake County municipality elections out, you know, outside of Raleigh uh, next year. Um, the Wake County School Board just decided they weren't going to have um, school on election day, but so it's just municipal elections, nothing statewide. Of course, there's 2024 we can talk about in a minute if we want to look at that. But what is this going to mean for the 2023 long session with the kind of, I had just written about this lately, sort of really incremental shifts in, in power between in the House and the Senate. And I like to use the phrase, I think I use trench warfare several times talking about past budget battles with the, the House and Senate and Governor Cooper over certain issues. And it seems like it's not quite going to be trenches. It might be a trench where Berger is what, how he wants to expand Medicaid and how Moore wants to expand Medicaid. Or is that stuff going to come up? What do you think is, is I mean, obviously the, the Senate has a veto-proof supermajority. The House doesn't quite um, what that'll mean for what, what kind of what kind of battles are we looking at? Yeah, you know, I think one thing we'll be looking at, and certainly you see this when you cover it all the time, is that look, the House and the Senate don't always get along great, even when they're of the same party. And so, obviously, we saw that with the the Medicaid expansion conversations. I think we're going to continue to see more stories and more uh, kind of policy decisions that that are made on that tension between the two chambers. Um, obviously, the Republicans supermajority in the Senate; they're one shy in the House. They're arguing that it is a working supermajority. We can unpack that a little if we want to, I guess. But um, but I think we're going to see more tension between the chambers. And I think just like we saw last time when the Republicans did have supermajority control in both chambers, it doesn't mean they all of a sudden 
get along perfectly. So I'm, I'm glad we're paying attention to the partisan dynamics. Sometimes I think the interchamber dynamics are also important and perhaps not reported on quite enough. Um, you know, in terms of policy, obviously, I'm looking at Medicaid expansion just like everybody else. And questions around um, Parents' Bill of Rights seems likely to come up again. I'm very curious to see, as you've written about, uh, the degree to which some of these more conservative members of the uh, Democratic caucus, if they are able to break, if the Republicans really do get a working supermajority. But I'm also curious to see, do any Republicans break? I think in all this, we're kind of assuming that the Republicans are in lockstep and it's the Democrats who might come over. But boy, if you wanted to exert some power, couldn't you also be a Republican somewhere near the middle and you can use yourself as sort of a, a key pivot point? And I think it's also possible we might see some of that. There is a pretty, especially in the House, a pretty big range of, I mean, there's the Keith Kidwell Freedom Caucus folks versus, you know, the all the way. Of course, if you're a Republican running, you don't want to say that you're, you know, any more moderate if that's not what your base is. It, it all depends. But do you think we're too early with, with the type of priorities they have? Not not Berger more necessarily, but the caucus members thinking about their next election, is it because like the terms are sh- so short with two years is I was talking to someone about this where they're like, oh, it's not an election year. So they're not going to try to pass something for messaging. And I'm like, well, it will be a year later or it's just something that they want to give their constituents anyway. Do you think that's a factor? Yeah. I mean, I th- yes. And I think I'm so glad you brought up the short terms because I think we talk a lot and I'm glad we do about the lack of professionalism, in the General Assembly. I don't mean they're not professional folks. I mean, we don't pay them a lot of money. The session length is uncertain and they don't have a ton of staff, but also the very, very short terms mean that every year is an election year and they're constantly trying to figure out how responsive they can be and they're looking forward to the next election. There are other states that have four-year terms or even six-year terms for various chambers, and I think we'd see a very different North Carolina. But the way we set up our terms, they're going to be pretty responsive and not deviate too far from the people in their district because the next election is right around the corner. So we're probably looking at something, you know, Moore told me before the election, you know, voter ID was something he's concerned about. So we're looking at voter ID, abortion, um, maybe taxes, although they haven't done much on that. Immigration could come up again. We'll see. Um, We need to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk more to politics professor Chris Cooper and tell you our picks for headliner of the week. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're listening to Under the Dome. I'm News and Observer Politics reporter Don Vaughn. Here with our guest today, political science professor Chris Cooper. So you've been inundated with questions from reporters for weeks and for months and years, of course, um, extra lately. Is there anything they didn't ask you recently that you feel like wasn't, wasn't covered, that you didn't have a chance to talk about if it was all these same, you know, five questions of, turnout of, you know, messaging strategy, that sort of thing. Was there anything that that all of us, meaning all politics uh, reporters, 
maybe focused more on and, and left out something else? Is there anything else? I mean, there's a few things that I think are important that don't always get paid attention to, but I think by and large, the media did a really good job this cycle. Um, and I think not just you, but I think the politics team here and the politics team across the state tends to do a pretty good job covering things. A few things I haven't seen talked about maybe quite enough. In the General Assembly, local bills I see as being the sort of say the untold story of the last General Assembly session, that's too much, but maybe not told quite enough. So local bills, of course, are not subject to gubernatorial veto. And so I think that's one way in which the General Assembly has been able to work around Governor Cooper's veto. And I'm very curious to see if that kind of thing continues. I think in terms in particular of election bills, we're going to see more of these local bills come up. And uh, I get why they don't get covered a lot. They're local by definition, like who wants to cover the you know, Rockingham County Community College Board. But when you add all those up, I think they're incredibly important. And I guess the other piece that I've been happy to see a lot of folks cover it lately is um, changes we're seeing in the General Assembly, not just in terms of partisanship, which is, of course, story one, but in terms of gender and in terms of race and other forms of descriptive representation. So it does look like we're going to have the largest number of female representatives or members of the General Assembly that we've had before. And so I think that story is important regardless of partisanship. We know that, of course, gender matters. It matters not just to policy, matters not just to the way people legislate, but also the way people perceive their government. So not not half, though, not the actual representative. Oh, no, we're a long ways from half, right? We, we, We can't even see parity from where we're sitting. But so it's an increase. This is a glass half full, glass half empty moment. We're seeing an increase, but we're not seeing an increase anywhere near parity. Colorado, interestingly, just passed over and they actually do have a majority female state legislature. Nevada also has a majority female state legislature. They're the only two in the country and the only two in history. I think the uh, racial demographics shifted a little bit. I think there, there are fewer black lawmakers now or fewer, fewer in the Senate, maybe. Um, so I don't know. If, I don't think there's any significant shift either way in that direction. Of course, the one Latino member of the House um, lost. That's exactly right. And I think we saw an increase also in Asian members of the General Assembly. So we're seeing some changes. But again, it is overwhelmingly a white male General Assembly still, um, despite some, some gains that I think are, are small but important and worth paying attention to. All right. Before we get to headliner, are there any questions you'd like to ask me? <laughs> yeah, tons, of course. Like, I mean, wh- I guess, what are stories that uh, that you sort of see in the General Assembly when you're actually spending time with legislators that don't get told enough? Sometimes when I talk to legislators, they'll say, look, we all get along way better than people give us credit for. We, uh, we actually talk way more than people give us credit for across the aisle. Do you see that kind of behavior and just how people talk and hang out? My pet peeve is when a, a member, it's usually in the House, will get on the floor and maybe they'll glance at the press corner and say that nobody mentions that we talk about how we get along. And I'm like literally tweeting, they're getting along right now and talking about it. And here's an example of my story. Of course, you know, the amount of people, people in politics are on Twitter more, but the general population isn't. Uh, so we do, but it's you have to explain to readers why this matters. And if it's just like a generic thing and everyone gets along and that's they passed a bill about it, then how why is why is writing about this 
news? Why is this significant to people? And if it's something that affects their daily lives, then yes. And so you can include the votes and explain how this passed because there really is common ground on some things. Now Medicaid expansion, even though like the details they haven't sorted out between the parties and Really, um, just we wrote about, you know, all the variety of things about after the the Raleigh mass shooting. And one was, is there any common ground on gun legislation at all in the legislature? And there is. And obviously, depending on your party or, you know, for or against it, because that's a lot of how gun regulation laws fall. But Allison Dahl, the Democrat, and Bobby Hannig, the Republican, both want just a safe gun storage awareness bill, not requiring anybody to do things, because a lot of Republicans don't like if you require anybody to do things, depending on the issue, of course. Um, and it was just awareness of it that, that didn't get through. And Hannig won, and, and Dahl was reelected. Um, Hannig's in the Senate now, so maybe something as, you know, just simple as that could could move ahead um, and I did write about that, and I think there's more opportunities for that. I also think kind of what we talked about a little bit, the the um, the, ten- the tension between the chambers and how they are will be even more interesting to cover, uh, not just between Berger and Moore, who are very different people, even though they're the same party, um, but, but everyone else and where that common ground will be. And maybe it'll be some moderate Democrats with moderate Republicans that want to push something forward and you know, I'll pitch those story ideas. So we'll see. You know, I don't get to write just whatever I want all the time, but as much as I would like to. So it would all be like legislative building photo of the day in the paper. No one wants to see that. Well, it'll be interesting to see, you know, as we see as much turnover in the chamber, right? So the Senate, what, five members of the Senate just got elected to the U.S. House of Representatives. So with that much Turnover will be interesting to see how these relationships change and how they relate to each other changes. Yeah, in the Senate especially, the press sit in the back corners, and the Senate's a lot smaller, and of course it's more formal than the rowdy house. And where the the press corps sits, we see a lot of them and like how they interact. And I sit in the same back corner. There are two back corners we can sit in, but I like I like my corner, which used to be um, behind Jeff Jackson and Erica Smith. And watching that dynamic at play, which was the same uh, row as Paul Lowe and Floyd McKissick. And I think Wiley Nichol was over there then. And that was, you know, a couple sessions ago. So now that this past session, you know, McKissick is gone. Jackson got moved across the room. Erica Smith is gone. Um, but Wiley Nichol is right there. And he won't be there anymore. So it's a shift, you know, and Ben Clark was was kind of near there. And Don Davis was on that row. Um, and, and Davis is one, of course, he's in Congress now, that um, likes to give floor speeches. And the listeners or people who spend time in the building, there's the ox meter that they'll pass around for people that talk too much on the floor. But when you don't have those floor speech folks, it's gonna it's a different dynamic. And Jeff Jackson was one. Some of it, of course, is because they're running for other office and they're having somebody like record them for that, you know, but just in general, like when Tillman was in the Senate and would just talk about nothing for whatever reason and talk to Senator Woodard. Tillman was Republican, Woodard's a Democrat. And just seeing that dynamic gave a lot of the character to the Senate. Um, so we'll see who the who the actual characters are. That, uh, Fun to watch. Um, all right. So let me get uh, over to our picks for headliner of the week. This is something that NNO and insider reporters 
share. And now that we've, you know, switched things up a little bit with the podcast format, our guests are, you know, of course, also, uh, we want to hear what their headliners of the week are. They can be serious or lighter or somewhere in between. So Chris, what, who or what is your headliner of the week? My headliner of the week is sort of the headline that didn't happen. So it's uh, Karen Brinson Bell and a hundred different county elections directors. And I call it the headline that didn't happen because we just didn't have a lot of drama on election day in terms of any sort of administrative snafus. There was not, you know, many of us were scared about these kind of crazy conspiracy theories going nuts. It didn't happen. Karen Brinson Bell and the 100 county directors ran a boring election, and that is the highest compliment that I can give to uh, to an election administrator. As interesting as politics is in some ways, the if it the more boring it is, the more functional it is in a lot of ways. And um, I'm sure the upcoming legislative session will be plenty boring um, with intermittent moments of drama. So, <laughs> um, all right, my headliner is kind of a typical one for me. It is the Raleigh Christmas Parade, which, yes, is a week before Thanksgiving, but that's just fine because the Christmas season can start, in, you know, right after Halloween. Mariah Carey said so this year. So. My son disagrees. But anyway, go on. <laughs> I mean, why do we have to condense it in just like a few weeks? And, you know, obviously other countries don't celebrate Thanksgiving and, you know, start the season early. So what's the deal with that? And I've already switched out some of my um, Thanksgiving to to Christmas decorations. But anyway, the Durham Holiday Parade that's downtown um, will be coming up in a couple of weeks. And I always go to all the parades back when I was a columnist at the Herald Sun. And they got rid of the downtown Durham uh, Holiday Parade. I ranted on about it for years, about like seven years until they brought it back. And someone sent a letter to the editor at the time that Don Vaughn's relentless quest to bring back the downtown Durham Holiday Parade. Maybe it was an insult. Maybe it was a compliment. The parade came back. So anyway, so I'll be at that parade too. So my headliner is holiday parade season. So, all right. Well, we're about out of time. Uh, Chris, thanks thanks for being on. Thanks for spending all your time talking to reporters election season and and all year um, for the News and Observer. Thanks for listening and talk to you next time. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider and sign up for our weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome, at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.